0: All the boys and girls, ages four years old through fourth grade, you can head out to Children's Church. Take your Bibles, please, if you want to go with me this morning to Romans chapter one. As in boys and girls head out to Children's Church, just briefly, please, before we go to our text, would you go to Romans chapter one? And you might remember, I hope you do, that that is the passage we looked at last Sunday morning I was encouraged this past week as we were out making some visits and we visited someone that was not in church last week Betty Wall in fact had a wonderful visit with Betty and as you know her family takes care of her and her daughter said we heard the service last Sunday morning we watched Facebook live I said, you did? I said, I'm really glad. She said, yeah, that was a wonderful message on Romans 1. I said, you remember that? She said, of course. Well, praise the Lord. Okay. So I hope you remember the message last Sunday morning, Romans chapter 1. And there was one key verse especially that we looked at. And it was verse 26. For this cause, remember that phrase? For this cause, which means for this reason. Or on account of this, or really simply, therefore, God gave them up unto vile affections and then a whole bunch of things, all kinds of different sins listed all the way down to the end of the chapter. And the message last Sunday morning, I hope you remember, was the fact that God will give people what they want if they insist on having it. So God who has revealed himself to all mankind through creation... Man is chosen to say, look, I don't really care about God. There may be a God, there may not be a God. I guess there seems to be, I have to admit that. But I've got my own plans, I've got my own thoughts about things. I just, just kind of leave me alone. And so they basically turn away from truth to error. They, In rejecting the only true God, they come up with their own gods, small g. They worship them. They serve them, they're loyal to them, they pledge their allegiance to them. They find their pleasure in self-centered living and all of the sin that comes with self-centered living. And because that is what they chose and that is what they have insisted in, God says, all right, if that is what you really want, I don't want that for you, but I did not create you as a robot. You have been given a will to decide So I will give you up to to what you want. For this cause, God gave them up. Now with that in mind, would you go to 2 Thessalonians, please, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, our text this morning. And as I read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12, would you be thinking about the message back in Romans 1 last week, and that one little phrase there for this cause, God gave them up, and see if you might find our key verses this morning. Follow along, please, as I read. Verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Now we we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the Son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God "...sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed." "...whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all powers and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved." And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. Did you find a little phrase in there you've heard before? If so, what was it? Out loud, you want to say it? Didn't see it? Verse 11. And what? For this cause. Same identical phrase found in Romans 1. And as I was last month having devotions, as many of you were in First and 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, when I read that verse, I thought that is exactly, that is a very, very similar message to that back in Romans 1 where you have that same phrase, for this cause. For this reason, or on account of this, or basically, therefore, because you chose something, I choose that you can have it. I'm going to do something because you did something. What is that all about? Back in Romans 1, the emphasis was on the ancient world, so to speak, especially Old Testament history, but it applies to us today. Now back in, now here in 2 Thessalonians, this is not the ancient world. This is Bible prophecy, okay? This is the future. So just like it happened back then, it is going to happen again. Because of what man chooses, God says, all right, this is what I will do. Our message today, 2 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 12. If you will please, first of all, notice the problem of the church. The Thessalonian church had a problem. What was it? When Paul was with them, because he'd already been there, he, built, he established that church, he founded that church. When Paul was with them in person, he had instructed them about the subject of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the period of history during which God will bring forth both judgment and blessing. Judgment and blessing to all of the people in the world at that time. First of all, it will be a time of Judgment. Because there will be, and basically we call this unparalleled judgment. Because there will be a period of seven years, which the Bible calls, and we call the time of what? The tribulation period. Seven and a half, or three and a half years of tribulation, we call that mild tribulation. There's really nothing mild about it. But then the last three and a half years is called the great tribulation, and that is... That is a time when it is, it's, it's beyond our, our imagination. It's really beyond our words what God is going to do in final judgment upon this unbelieving world. The seven-year tribulation period. A time of unparalleled judgment. And then there's the, the millennial reign of Christ. The 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ in complete, absolute righteousness on the entire earth. We call it the millennial reign of Christ. So you have the judgment, the, the tribulation period and the millennial reign of Christ, basically what we would call the day of the Lord. And Paul had instructed these people regarding that. Then secondly, Paul had written a letter to the church previously. Anybody know what the previous letters called that Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica? Real, real hard, intelligent question there, hard. First Thessalonians. In that letter, Paul had also mentioned the two the two times when Christ will return. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, he mentions the what we call the rapture of the church, the coming of Jesus Christ in the air. He, doesn't, he comes in the clouds. He doesn't touch down on planet earth. And the dead in Christ, remember, rise first. All Christians who have already died, they rise first. They're resurrected. And then we who are alive at the coming of the Lord, we will be called up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and we will be ever with the Lord. It's called the rapture. It's the, the first of two comings of Jesus Christ. That's, that's in 1 Thessalonians. So he wrote to them about that. He also in 1 Thessalonians wrote to these people about the revelation coming of the Lord. Now most of the references, not all of course, but most by far, most of the references in Old Testament and New Testament about the coming of the Lord do have to do with what we call the the revelation of the Lord. When he doesn't just come in the clouds for Christians, the rapture, but he actually comes down to the earth and sets up his reign in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. And Paul had told them about that. Do we have just a minute maybe to look at a couple of verses? Go to chapter go back to First Thessalonians chapter two, please, if you will, look at verse nineteen. Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Would you look please at chapter 3, verse 13. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So there is reference to both the revelation of Christ, second coming of Christ, and then of course his coming at the rapture. Paul had mentioned that in a previous letter. So what's the problem here in the church? These people are experiencing a time of great danger. It's a time of great persecution. I mean, they are going through a very, very difficult time because of their faith. And it seemed like to the people, it seemed like perhaps, maybe they missed the rapture. Maybe they were already experiencing the tribulation. And so it's like, did we miss the coming of the Lord that we were told about? That we've been looking forward to? Because things are really, really getting difficult. And Paul said, no, no, that's not. And by the way, to make matters worse, some teachers had come and invaded the church and were teaching this very thing. Did you notice verse 2? He says, he introduces his subject. He says, for that, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. And so somebody had come and invaded the church, so to speak, and was teaching this false doctrine. Now they're really shaking. And then along with that, we believe that he says, nor by letter as from us. Somebody had basically written a letter and left the impression or said it was from the Apostle Paul. Now they've got that to add to their problem. So because of persecution, they're already wondering, is this part of the tribulation? Have we missed the rapture? And somebody comes in and starts teaching them and says, yeah, that's exactly what's happened. So here's what we better do. And then somebody comes and says, well, we've got a letter right here from Paul. Let's read that. And he said, look, I didn't write that letter. So these people have a major problem. If this was true, if it was true now that they were already in the tribulation, then what about the promise to all the believers that we are not going to go through the terrible tribulation period? And all God's people said, there's a man visit our church quite some time ago, came a couple of times. He quit coming because he does not believe in pre-tribulation rapture. He said, there's not a way in the world that God is ever going to keep Christians from being in the tribulation period because we need to go through that just like unbelievers. And he gave me all of his reasons. I said, I understand what you're saying, but it's just not true. So if these people did miss the rapture, then what about the promises that God's people will not go through that period? And along with that, if they missed the rapture, then what unimaginable things did they think they were about to to experience? I mean, if you knew that you were going to go through seven years of tribulation, do you think you might have a little trouble fighting some fear about that? And so Paul says, listen, this is a serious matter. This is a serious problem. So we go to the second part of the message. He says, let me just, if I could, straighten this important matter out. Because you have all these prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures. Now he says, let me tell you a little bit about the program of God. So we have now in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we have a wonderful prophetic passage in the New Testament. He says, you have not missed the coming of the Lord. The day of the Lord has not begun because God has clearly given us a program. Now, what is in the program of God? What is yet to come? First of all, there is going to be a rebellion, and apostasy of the professing church. Would you look at verse 3? He says, let no man deceive you by any means. Forget what you're thinking. Forget what some teachers are telling you now. Forget about this letter that I did not write to you. Do not let anybody deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there be, first of all, he says, there has to be a falling away first. There has to be a time of massive rebellion, apostasy of the professing church. The words here are falling away. The Greek word is apostasia. Now can you say that together with me, please? Falling away, what's the Greek word? Apostasia. Do you happen to know any English words that come right out of that word? Apostasia or apostasize. It's a transliteration. Not many words are like that from the Greek language, I'll tell you. The most well-known one is probably the, the Greek word. Well, I'll tell you the Greek word and you tell me the English word, okay? Baptizo. Baptize. See, we get our English word right from baptizo. To put under. That's why we don't sprinkle babies. One reason. Same thing is true here. Apostasia. There has to be a falling away. There has to be an apostasia first. Well, what is that apostasy? What is apostasy? Apostasy literally is a defection from the truth. It means literally to defect from the truth or to forsake. So a apostasy is, is a... A falling away, it's a departure from God's truth. It's forsaking God's truth. And by the way, when you talk about apostasy, do not think about unsaved people who make no profession of being saved. This is not for all those people out there who've never heard the Bible, never understood the Bible. They've made no profession of being saved. They're not really Christians. And there's no apostasy for them. They're not falling away from or departing from truth because they really don't even, they haven't even really experienced or known the truth. But this is about professing Christendom. This is about church. This is about denominations. This is about people and leaders of people, sorry to say, who say, we are believers, we are Christians. Okay, we're going to go to heaven when we die, there's going to come a day. Paul says, when there is going to be just this unbelievable amount of apostasy. Where people who say we are the people of God, we're the church of God, we believe in Jesus Christ, yet we believe the Bible, they wander from that, they depart from that truth. Apostasy. It's spoken of especially, I wish we had time to go to these references, we don't. Many of you writing down notes, or some of you... Uh, first, write down 1 Timothy 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, that's the next one. That's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Write down Second Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, I think, starts with, now. The, here it is. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits, and so forth, okay? So you have 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3, and then 2 Peter chapters 2 and 3, and the book of Jude. Those would be the main passages to study, to read and study about the subject of the apostasy of the professing church. The apostasy at that time in the future will be so terrible, so bad, that Dr. H.A. Ironside in his commentary on 2 Thessalonians says this, After the rapture of the true church, the vast throng of unconverted professors left on earth will throw off all pretension of allegiance to God and to Christ. Do you understand that? The apostasy in the professing church will be so bad after Christ returns rapture and we go into the I'm not going as others go into the tribulation it will be so bad he says after the rapture of the true church the vast throng of unconverted professors left on earth will throw off all pretension of allegiance to God and Christ and by the way you and I have no idea what's being taught in a lot of churches today In a lot of denominations today. Now I have, I was gonna say advantage, maybe it's a disadvantage. Maybe it's better for you not even to know. But as a pastor, I get stuff from everybody everywhere: conferences to go to, new books being written, new pamphlets out there. And it's like, how in the world can they believe that and be Christian? Many times I say they can't be because this is what the Bible says about that. It's like, where is that coming from? And yet they profess to know God. They profess to know Christ. In many of the major denominations today in the world, including the United States of America, it is unbelievable what the churches are allowing now as there's nothing wrong with it at all when all throughout church history, Anybody who knew the Bible said that is wrong. You cannot do that and be true to the Bible. There are some organizations out there, very few, who really specialize in helping God's people see what is going on and what what denominations and groups of people are coming to believe today and how wrong it is. It is unreal. And you think, how could they ever believe that? One answer, apostasy. Professing to know God, professing to believe God's truth, professing to be a born-again child of God, and now they're believing. If you and I, listen, if you knew what the average seminary today in our country what the professors in most seminaries teach about key Bible doctrines, you would say, that can't be true. But it is true. It is true. And that's why our church is an one reason that we're an independent Baptist church. If you knew what the professors today and many of the Southern Baptist colleges and seminaries believe, frankly, you'd have a problem being a member of a Southern Baptist church. Because that's where part of your money goes, the cooperative program. And you say, how do you know that? Because you, we should, everybody should know that. And what many of these professors are teaching is true is not true. And I'm not talking about skirts or dresses. I'm not talking about long hair, short hair. I'm not talking about is it a sin to have, have contacts. You know what I'm talking I'm not talking about these simple things. I'm talking about major things like the deity of Christ, the virgin birth. The absolute inspiration of the scriptures. I'm talking about major cardinal doctrines. It's like, how can they be teaching in these schools and not believe what the Bible says so clearly? It's just unreal. And then you get to these denominations today where they have uh, women pastors, homosexual, lesbian churches, with homosexual pastors, preachers. It's like, where's this thing going? Does the Bible say anything about this? It says a lot about these things. It's all called apostasy, and it's all talked about here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so he says, first of all, there has to be an an apostasy, a massive departure from the truth. And then he says, secondly, there has to be the removal of the the restrainer. He said, listen, the rapture did not occur. (laughs) You are not in the tribulation because secondly, there has to be the removal of the restrainer. That's verses 6 and 7. And now you know what withholdeth that he, would, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. What is he talking about? The mystery of iniquity, lawlessness, was already working in Paul's day. We know that from verse 7. It was already happening in John's day. We're so close. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that antichrist shall come, even now are there many antichrists whereby we know it is the last time. Now if it was the last time then what is it today? He says the antichrist is going to come. He still hasn't come. Hadn't come then. He hasn't, he's not, he hasn't come now. But he's little children. It is the last time. As you know, as you have heard, that Antichrist, the Antichrist, shall come. Even now are there many, many Antichrists. Would you also please look at chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3 of 1 John? Beloved, he says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. See, if they're of God, because you have heard that, he said, because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, hereby we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh, he says, is not of God. Every spirit that confesseth not, excuse me, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And look what he says. And hereby, he says, we know it's the last time. You have heard that it, excuse me just a second. You've heard that it should come and even now already, he says, is in the world. I'm using my old Bible and part of it's ripped out so I'm just realizing now I'm reading from two different verses this page and the page below, I'd better, I'd better start using my new Bible, okay? i better just quote, I could quote the verses, okay? He said, listen, there's, there's going to come a time, and it's already here, where you better try the spirits because some spirits are not of God. Well, how do you know the difference? Every spirit that comes and confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is come to the flesh is not of God. And he says, listen, you know that, that it's the last time. Even now, he says, it's already in the world. So Paul, go back to 2 Thessalonians. Paul says to these people, listen, trust me, you are not living after the rapture of the church. It has not occurred. The mystery of iniquity has to be removed. And look, he says... It's, it's what is all, what's this all about? It's a movement that is against divine law. It's a movement that is inspired by and directed by Satan, who's the God of this world. And it explains, by the way, just about everything that's going on in the world today. I mean, it's like we don't want God's truth. We don't want to follow this thing called the Bible. We want to live our way. We want to do our thing. And what people don't understand is the God of this world, Satan, is behind it all, directing it all. And that is going to really, really go wild during the tribulation period. But right now, there's a restrainer. If you will please, he said, it says that the 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 mystery of iniquity is right now it's being held back or restrained. But one day the restraint's going to be gone. Say, who's the restrainer? The, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Question: How does the restrainer hold back sin? Do you know the answer to that question? Through indwelling the, Holy, uh, the Christian. You and I have no idea today how much sin is held back just because there's still Christians in the world who believe the Bible, who talk the scriptures, who witness, who speak to others of the, of the message of God's word, the Bible. what did Jesus say about believers? We are the, we are the light of the world, right? And we're what? Also, we're not only the light of the world, we're the the salt of the earth. We're we're a light that shines in a dark world. We're salt that preserves. Take away the light that Christians shine. Take away the salt of a Christian. The restrainer is removed. That has to happen before the tribulation. If you are a consistent Christian, you probably have no idea what an impact you just are making in the office where you're working, the factory where you're working, the people that you're around who are not saved. They may not have accepted your Christ. They may not believe in our God. They may not be students of the scriptures, but they know that we are different from them they know there's a difference. They know that there are some things that they don't really want to talk about when they're with you. There are certain words that they they don't use. And when they're going to do something in the office or the factory, that includes the employees, and all of a sudden they say, well, there's no point really asking him to participate because we know what he believes. He's not going for this. Or, you know, some guys get together and they're talking about what they did last Friday night. They're talking about this movie they went to and and what these people said and what they did. And it was just a great movie. And then somebody comes walking over who they know is a Christian. And they suddenly change the conversation. Well, they're done talking about that. Why? Because you entered their midst. And you know you don't want to hear it because it's wrong. We have no idea our sin is held back by the Holy Spirit who indwells Christians. Look at it again please. Verse three, let no man deceive you by any means For that day shall not come except there be an apostasy, a falling away first. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is written, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that which I said when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth, holds back, restrains, withholdeth means restrains, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, by the way, the word letteth is the same Greek word for withholdeth. He who restrains will let, same word, withholdeth, to hold down, to restrain. Only he who now letteth or restrains will restrain until he is taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. And that's the third thing that has to happen. There has to be a revelation or a manifestation of the man of sin. Now who is the man of sin? We just read about him in verses 3, 4, 5, 6. Who is he? His name is not given in the Bible. He's called in scripture the son of perdition. He's called in scripture, in fact he's called in this passage the wicked one, verse 8. Whom then, and then shall that wicked one, the lawless one. He is the antichrist. He is not an antichrist. He is the antichrist. He is the one that especially is spoken of in the book of Daniel and spoken of in the book of Revelation. He is so wicked that his name in scripture is called the man of sin. He's called the beast. Even though he, so to speak, is quiet and seems to be humble and good-natured and friendly... And he's got all the charisma you could imagine. He's got the perfect plan for everything. He seems like the the nicest guy you could ever imagine. But in reality, he is basically a ferocious beast who comes to the place where he breaks every treaty. And he says, listen, you really don't need Jesus. He doesn't profess to be Jesus. He says, you don't need him. (laughs) I am God. Just worship me, you say, People will never worship him. Listen, everybody at that time, with a few exceptions, will believe him and worship him. They will be so taken over with all of his professing comments, and every and, and his all the things he has done and says he can do and seems to do, and his charisma, and all the the answers that he has for all the world's problems. And he will grow and grow and grow in popularity until there will come a place where almost every person on planet earth will accept him, will give loyalty to him, will worship him, and we can get into Revelation, the mark of the beast, and so forth. We don't have time to go there. He's the Antichrist. He's the man of sin. He's the, he's the, what does he do? Well, look at verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. That's strong. He opposes, he exalts himself above all that is called God. Secondly, look at the last part of the verse. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's pretty strong. He does unbelievable works, supernatural works, Satan-inspired works. And they are absolutely Look at 9 and 10. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. You have a lot more details in Revelation 13. We don't have time to go to Revelation 13, but you notice you have powers and signs and wonders. Powers is literally miracles. It refers to the inerrant power, the supernatural power behind the works that the Antichrist will perform. Then you have the word signs. The word signs in the Bible has to do with miracles that have some special significance. What's the first part of the word significance? S-I-G-N. Signs, okay. So there's a message in the signs, in the miracles. And then you have wonders. He performs miracles and signs and wonders. The word wonders has to do with the attitude of awe that the miracles produce on those who see them. It's like, did you see that? How in the world could he do that? That is unbelievable, but we saw it, we experienced it. It's like, whoa, it's awesome. Signs, miracles, and wonders. And by the way, if you want a word that summarizes the work of the Antichrist, a good word would be counterfeit. Why counterfeit? Because when you read the Gospels, when you read the book of Acts, could I ask you a question? Who else did miracles, signs, wonders, powers? Who did that? Jesus. What about after Jesus was crucified and and buried and rose again? Was at the end of the miracles the signs and the wonders? Was at the end? No, read the book of Acts. Who else did miracles and signs and wonders? The apostles. So you have Jesus Christ, the only true God and Savior. He he does miracles and signs and wonders. And then he dies for the sins of the world. He's he's buried. He rises again. He goes back to heaven. And now you have witnesses of Jesus, the apostles. And what do they do? They have the ability by God before the word of God was completed. They have the ability to, to do powers and signs, miracles. And now the Antichrist comes on the scene. He's a counterfeit. He also does miracles and signs and wonders. And people go, whoa, this has to be God. So what's going to happen to him? Look at verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his power. The word spirit there is the breath, with the breath of his mouth, I'm sorry, with the breath of his mouth. The wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ is going to consume, destroy, with the breath of his mouth. And he's also going to shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Remember when Saul of Tarsus met the Lord on the road to Damascus, the light from heaven was so powerful that he fell to the earth. It's that plus a whole lot more. The wicked shall be revealed. The wicked one, but God is going to consume him with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. That's what's going to happen to him. We only have one more point, and it's the main, main emphasis of the message. Watch this now. It's the plight of the sinner. Because the rest of this passage has been burning in my heart for a long time. The plight of the sinner. Could I read again verses ten through twelve and please think what is God saying here? He's going to come and we start at verse eight. Even him who's coming, verse nine. Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of them, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Really, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, on account of this, therefore, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You have here a contrast between two words. You have truth and lie. Did you notice that? Verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12. You have lying wonders. Verse 9, you have truth in verse 10. You have lie in verse 11. And you have truth again in verse 12. Now listen, folks. God's word is truth. Amen? John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So the word of God is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. But there are many, many people in the world who say, I don't see that. That is not true. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I do not accept Jesus as the only Savior. That's too restrictive, that's too narrow. It's really, it's really a matter of being sincere and just believing what you personally want to believe, because who's to say what's really right and what's really wrong? So you have this contrast of truth and error, truth and lie. And depending on which of what you believe in those two things, your eternal destiny is determined. And by the way, your lifestyle is the result. Would you say amen to that? So you have some people who say, I believe the Bible is the word of God and it's true. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, savior and Lord, and I've trusted him as my savior and as a privilege to live for his glory. That's what life's all about to me. And you have others who say, I'm not going there. I do not choose to believe what you believe. They may never say it openly with their mouth, But there's the rejection of Jesus Christ as God's eternal son who is truth. And there's the rejection of the authoritative word of the living God because they refuse to accept the Christ of God as they've heard of him in the word of God. And therefore, they choose to live a life of sin, unrighteousness. And if a person has heard the truth of God, He knows how to be saved. He knows the truth of Jesus Christ. But he rejects that. For whatever reason, if the rapture of the church occurs in his lifetime and he's still unsaved, God says he will never be saved after Christ returns. Question, will there be people saved in the tribulation period? Yes. How many? Many. They will not be people who have heard God's truth when the rapture occurred. You say, well, pastor, what about me then? Because I've heard the truth, I know the gospel, but I've never been saved. So does it mean I can't be saved today? No, that means you better be saved today. That means you should be saved today. That means you should go on in your, you should not go on in your rejection of Christ. You should not put off being saved. You should come to the Lord now while there's still time. Now I know many years ago there was some a series of books written called Left Behind. And I know the teaching was, listen, after the rapture there will be people who will call their pastor. He won't be here. Youth pastor won't be here. Maybe he will be here depending on who. Okay, And, and, and they'll, they'll go running to church and God will, will, will in his grace, they will be saved. When all their Christian friends are gone, they'll say, oh, I'm not saved, but I should be. They'll come to the Lord. I'm sorry, that is not true. There are many, many things in those books I'm sure were true, but that doctrine is not true. And here is one of many authoritative passages that say, look, this is what's going to happen. And somebody says, what? Well, that's just, that's not fair. That, that's, that doesn't sound like God. Listen, could we read it again? For this cause, only for this reason, only on account of this, God will send them strong delusion, which means powerful deceit, powerful deceivings, deception, powerful deception. For this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned. Why? Because these are people who chose to, they did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure in what, folks? Unrighteousness. Would you go back again to verse 10? With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they received not the truth that they might be saved. In closing, please, would you go to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. And look at the verse before John three sixteen, and look at the three verses after John three sixteen, and this might mean more to you than it's ever meant before. John three, in fact, why don't we start at fifteen? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. Be doomed, be damned in hell forever. No, he should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Why is this possible? Look at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. God didn't send Jesus to condemn people. He sent Jesus so people could be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But look at verse 19. In fact, read it with me out loud, please. Verse 19, John 3, 19, here we go. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world And men love darkness rather than light. Did you get that? After God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, so people could be saved. Because Jesus did not, he didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world. And whoever therefore believes on him is not condemned. But the one who doesn't believe is condemned already because this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, Jesus Christ. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They're set on doing evil and they don't want to give it up. Our text says they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Folks, bottom line, it's not God's fault if they perish. 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know what God says? You know what it says there regarding God? Who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Did you hear that? God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Oh, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. God is not not long. Excuse me. How does this start? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. That's the Bible, folks. That's God. And I close with this. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. God says, as I live, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Did you hear that? God says, I have absolutely no pleasure Pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked, what do I have pleasure in? But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Oh, why will you die, O house of Israel? But it, the choice is yours. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What I have pleasure in, as God says, is when the wicked turns from his evil ways. So why, why will you go on in your sin and die? Why? But you and I know both. You and I know that the vast majority of people that we are around, that we know outside of our Christian friends, they really like their sin. They want their sin, and they're not going to give up their sin. Bottom line, because they reject the truth of the Word of God, and therefore they reject receiving the Son of God. And the Bible says, for this cause and only for this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, the Antichrist lie, that they might be condemned forever. I don't know a more serious message to preach. Would you bow your heads, please? I invited some unsafe people to come to church today. They didn't come. I wanted so badly for them to hear this message. They weren't here. None of them. But I preached it anyway. Maybe you're the one that needs the message. I don't know. Has there ever been a day in your life when you have turned from your sin, acknowledged your sin, admitted to God that you are a sinner, and because you heard of God's love displayed in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, His death upon the cross for your sins, His burial, He truly died, and His bodily resurrection the third day. You heard the message from the Bible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to willfully trust Christ right now. And you did that. And he saved you. If Jesus Christ were to return tonight at 11.59 p.m., you have the absolute assurance from the word of God you would be out of here and you would be with the Lord forever. That's a fact. If you have never been saved, if Jesus Christ would return tonight, 1158, 1159 p.m., believe me, according to God's word, because you have rejected Christ having heard the truth, because you've persisted to take pleasure in your sin, You will believe the Antichrist lie. You will never be saved. I think of the gospel song Come, every soul by sin oppressed, there is mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in His word. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. And He will save you right now. Would you like to do that? There in a pew, those of you watching or listening today, Facebook Live, right there, wherever you are, you can bow your head and you can bow your heart. And you can, in your own words, you can acknowledge your sin to God. You can thank Him for sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, to this earth, to die for your sins, to rise again from the grave. And you can thank God that he has made salvation simple for you and say, I do believe. I do trust. I will depend upon you today to be my savior. I leave my sin. I trust in you. You can do that right now. So why don't you talk with the Lord? Why don't you ask him to be your savior? Those of us today that are saved, whatever God says to you through this message, I know what he's been telling me. You you talk to him about as our pianist plays a verse today.